0: Thanks, Tommy. Good afternoon, everyone. Now, in our day-to-day lives, every day, almost subconsciously at times, we're called upon to make decisions. And as a follower of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, those decisions are no different than everyone else's decisions. And most of the time, as I say, without even thinking about it, we can make a godly answer to the decisions upon which we're called. Uh, For example, God says, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not commit murder. And it would take no more thought not to steal than it would not to commit murder in our day-to-day lives. These things just are processed and occur naturally. However, times come where we are called upon, perhaps, to make uh, decisions that are more complex than that. And one such is that is, which is indicated by the subject that we have for this afternoon, the election for a disciple of Christ. And there's a giveaway on the slide there. I'm not going to pass around a ballot box. But if any of you have had your eyes or your ears open even over the last few weeks, you can't have helped but notice that on the 7th of May is going to be a UK general election. And the paper this morning, and, uh, reliably informs us that, is in 116 days' time because some of them are starting doing countdowns. From the 1st of January, they're doing a countdown, so it started already. Parliament, as we know it, is going to be disbanded or whatever they call it, at the end of March. So that then campaigning can take place after that so it's not far away and already you can see uh, in any of the news articles or the political reports or anything that people are starting to position themselves already and remove themselves from alliances with other people and start to set out what their plans and differences are Uh, supposedly there is nothing that is going to be done now by the government which doesn't have some kind of innuendo towards the election if they make an announcement on finances or jobs or whatever it might be It's in order to try and bribe votes. This is according to the opposition. And it's all starting already. So it is therefore prudent uh, for, uh, if we go back to the previous screen, a disciple of Christ to consider, firstly, the position in relation to this uh, election, which is going to be coming up. But secondly, is there a wider issue at play here? Some of the decisions that we're called upon to make uh, in life are easy and that we can go to the bible and we can turn up a passage and we can say well there's the answer to the decision that we have to make and the problem that we have what we can't do is turn to the 11th commandment which says thou shalt not vote or you shall not be a member of the count- the government or your local council or anything else because it doesn't exist what we have to do is to take a more measured overall view of the scriptures to see what it is that they say upon this idea Uh, not only of voting, but what our attitude to it and to the government and to elections and all that should be. And that, hopefully, briefly, is what we're going to do uh, over the course of this afternoon. Despite uh, the best intention of many Glaswegians, where I'm from and Dundonians, where we are, which seem to be the two main regions focused towards Scottish independence, despite their best attempts, we are members and carrying on members of the United Kingdom. And it's this United Kingdom election which is coming up. uh, And therefore, um, we can imagine the kind of images that UK uh, associates with uh, in people's minds. You have your UK passport, driving licence, go through the border control when you go on holiday. Uh, The UK, and and I know this will become one of the arguments, should it it be in the EU, but should it be in the EU? And how much should it be in the EU? And all these different things, no doubt, uh, will come into play. But as well as um, privileges and UK membership, there are also responsibilities. And those responsibilities, not least when we come to the defence of the nation, uh, can have serious consequences. And these are all things that we'll try and touch on uh, this afternoon. Firstly, that are incumbent upon all of us of whatever faith or persuasion or no faith or persuasion obligations as citizens of this country. Uh, and in there, in that chapter, uh, which we had read for us by way of introduction by Tommy, are some, if we pick up there, First Peter, chapter 2 and verse 13. Or first, if we go to the start of the chapter, verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile, hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So constantly in life, whatever stage we are at, we should be seeking out food which is appropriate to us if we're if we're new to the truth to the things of god as newborn babes the milk the the easier things onto the meat of the word as we grow and develop That constantly we should be growing and developing in the things of god and he comes on then in verse 13 to say submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well for so is the will of god that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not lusting after liberty for a cloak of maliciousness but as the servants of god honor all men love the brotherhood fear god honor the king so quite clear words there submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the lord's sake whether it be to the king of supreme or to governors, and honor the king in verse 17 so a very clear command there that there is a duty incumbent upon all citizens of a country uh, to follow the leadership of that country. So we have our, in verse 12, there's a word in the authorised version, conversation, or in the modern model, and your way of life, your manner of life. If you're living, your citizenship uh, is of that country, then there is a duty and obligation upon you to follow the laws of that country. Therefore... The bible tells us not to steal the other things but the laws of the land tell us that as well the laws of the land tell us that in a 50 mile an hour zone you will not drive over 50 miles an hour you won't find that in the bible but it's in the laws of the land therefore we obey the laws of the land what it then does at the end of the chapter which we'll move on to shortly is it picks up this idea in verse 21 for even hereunto were you called because christ awful suffered for us leaving us an example." That you should follow his steps. So here we have two examples. We have the example of the law of the land, the government of the land, the king of the land, which we should honour and respect and obey. And as a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, in verse 21, we have the example left for us by the Lord Jesus Christ, who, verse 22, did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And there's a wee hint here, and we'll come on to it in just a short while, of maybe this start of a slight conflict in that I don't imagine that if Jesus lived and suffered nowadays when he's suffering there for righteousness sake he would say wait a minute under the European Convention on Human Rights you're not able to do this to me and we'll come on to consider that there's a couple of examples in the life of the Apostle Paul that there is a difference here perhaps coming in between the laws upon which the government is based and the king and those things which we ought to follow and the example that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered for us, he was reviled; he didn't argue against it. He suffered. He didn't threaten. He didn't complain. He endured those things which came upon him. If we go on in your Bibles, um, just a few pages to First Timothy. Sorry, back. Just a few pages to First Timothy, chapter two. At the beginning of the chapter it says there, the phrase is on the the screen. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and for all that are in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So not only should we honour the king and the authorities and the powers which are put in place. And obey them as best we're able to do. But actually we're told there that we should pray for them that the things which they do and enact should allow us to live a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty and we're very fortunate in this country that on the whole that is true uh, there are many people around the world uh, where that is not true where the leadership and authority under which they live is very difficult and very hard for them and it's something that in our prayers we should be conscious of and appreciate the great liberties that we do have. If we go back to the Gospel of Matthew at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel in chapter 22. We have here an example uh, from the life of Jesus uh, regarding this the, the obligations that we do have as citizens of of a country. So in Matthew 22 and verse 15, the Pharisees went and took counsel how they might entangle Jesus in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with a Herodian saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us therefore what thinkest thou. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? So this is very similar to question to the one we're asking. They're saying, look, and they're trying to entrap him. They're saying, we know that you are a man of God. You teach things of God. Therefore, you're not subject to any other man. You don't care what anyone else thinks about you. Therefore, should we give tribute to Caesar? What, what should we do about the rulership of uh, the nation under which we live? And in verse 18, Jesus, perceiving their wickedness, said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, Whose is the image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. Then said he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And when they had heard these words, they marvelled and left him and went their way. What a wonderfully inspired answer he gave them. Uh, On the tribute coin, the money was Caesar's image and superscription give it to caesar what does it matter it's just money pay your taxes you do what the state tells you but to god to god we give the things that god asks of us so their attempt to entrap him uh, backfired and in just a short succinct verse he gives us there a great clue here uh, as to our attitude towards these things there are things that being a citizen or a member of a country we're obliged to do and we give those things freely to the country and the leadership of it and there are things which are reserved for god and unto him we give them uh, i'll just read just one verse here i read from romans chapter 12 where we read in the first verse i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so this is building on this idea that there are things that, We have to live in the world. We have to work in the world. We have to go to school in the world. Uh, Our employment is in the world. That entails us being involved within the world. But there are things that are reserved uh, to God that we don't conform to everything of this world, but rather seek to follow after the things of God that we should be having our minds renewed constantly day by day. Back to this verse that I had as newborn babes desiring sincere milk, growing and developing in the things of God whilst living in the world but not being tainted or overcome or conformed to in every way the things of the world to the detriment of the things of God not allowing the world to squeeze us into its mould but that we might keep those godly characteristics that example of the Lord Jesus Christ which we read of (laughs) And if we consider just briefly what, how through the scriptures how politics or God's way of dealing with things uh, have existed, there's a quote there on the screen from Exodus chapter nineteen, where we read: "Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar or a a strange treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation." These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So God here is dictating how it was that the children of Israel were to conduct themselves. He gave them the Ten Commandments by which they could regulate themselves. He gives them uh, instructions upon the way in which they should deal with each other as well as their worship with him. He imposed his charter, if you like, his law upon them. And gave it to them. Nothing democratic about that. This is the law of God. By which they were to lead their lives. And that extended uh, to the leaders of the time. In Deuteronomy it says. When a king sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom. Then he shall write him a copy of this law in a book. Out of that which is before the priests and Levites. And it shall be with him. And he shall read therein all the days of his life. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God. To keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. So note there, when the king sits on his kingdom, so here we have the king in his kingdom, it was this law, the law of God, that he was to write out. He was to meditate upon. He was to cogitate upon in heart and mind and to put into practice in his rulership and his leadership. And when we see in examples of kings, Uh, the likes of Solomon who put that into place and the wonderful wisdom that he was renowned for as a result of that in applying the laws of God it worked well but sadly all too often it didn't work well the kings didn't do it the law was lost it wasn't written out they didn't apply these things in their judgments and in their lives and the deterioration in society continued as a result Abraham, we're told, was called by God. Um, I'll just read, I'll just go back from Romans to Acts and read a few verses there from chapter 7, where we read, Acts 7, verse 2. Men, brethren, fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I will show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein you now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And God spake on this wise that his seed should sojourn in a strange land. And that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years. So Abraham was called to leave his home, to go to a land that God would show him and tell him. He wasn't told at the outset where it was. And in faith he followed God and set out on his journey and went looking uh, for this land. He never did have an inheritance in it. But it was promised that his seed that would follow after him, if they continued to obey God... Would inherit this land, and it's on the screen there. If you want to take down the reference, so we go we went back to Genesis and had a look. We'd see how those things uh, panned out at the time. But looking back again, if we go on a wee bit in the New Testament into Hebrews, chapter eleven, it picks up there what happened to Abraham, this great man of faith. So Hebrews chapter eleven. And verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he would after receive for inheritance, obeyed and went out, not knowing where he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So here we have an example of a faithful man of old, Abraham, who lived on the earth. But it lived as a nomad, as a stranger as a pilgrim, travelling around and the reason for that was verse 10 of Hebrews 11, he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God he lived here, he lived in kingdoms he lived in lands, they had rulers, they had leaders, he no doubt obeyed the laws of those lands but so he didn't conflict with his uh, allegiance to God but that isn't what he was looking for he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And in verse 13 it says he never did receive that. In his life, looking for that wonderful time of promise which was to come, he and those other faithful who are listed here didn't see that. They were still looking for it. They lived as strangers and as pilgrims. It is worth, I just want to look at one other example. If you come with me to the book of Daniel, which is towards the end of the Old Testament, Because Daniel's an interesting example because he's put uh, throughout his life in quite a few difficult positions where he has to make this exact choice between allegiance to a higher power, the king over him, and his allegiance to God. So Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank, Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into favour and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. And Daniel reassures him, Look, that isn't going to happen. I would rather obey God than the command of the king who's put this great feast before us and told us to eat of uh, this meat and drink this wine. I have faith and trust in God that he will look after us. And it comes to pass that his uh, countenance and demeanour and health is far greater than those who are gluttoning on the things of the king. And that not only sets him and his friends apart, but also early on in his life makes this stance. Whatever the consequences, if I'm asked to do something, even if it's by the king, if it's against the command of God, I will follow God and bear the consequences as a result. And we come on then into chapter 3 of Daniel. It would be great to look at all these events through Daniel's life, but unfortunately we don't have time. But if you want to look further into this, you could do a lot worse than just reading through these uh, chapters of Daniel. So, Daniel uh, chapter 3, uh, if we go back to verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, do you not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? So he'd set up this great golden image of himself, and at certain times appointed in the day, they were to bow down and worship to this image. And Daniel's and friends said, No, I'm sorry, but God has told us we will worship no one, bow down to anyone apart from him therefore they refuse to do it and the king is furious at this um, verse 15 if you be ready that at what time ye he hear the sound of the cornet, flute harp sackbert psaltery dulcimer and all kinds of music you fall down and worship the image which i've made well but if you worship not then you'll be cast the same hour into the middle of a burning fiery furnace and who is that god that shall deliver you out of my hands you fear a god i am the king Unless you do what I say and worship me, I'll throw you into fiery furnace. And what God, you, you can hear the, uh, in his voice, what God could possibly save you from that? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy god nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up we have faith and trust in our god that he will save us if he does great and we're proved right if he doesn't we're still not going to bow down and worship your image because we will not go against god o king nebuchadnezzar even though you are the king and you have been put in a position of authority and we're told to obey and to honor the king there are limitations to that there are stages at which our allegiance to god overrides the command of the king we will not do it and if if you if you don't know the story uh, please read on they're thrown in the fiery furnace uh, and nothing happens to them even those who are throwing them in are burnt such as the heat of the furnace because it's cranked up to make absolutely sure and no god could possibly save them but their god saves them because what Nebuchadnezzar doesn't realise is the God that he is dealing with here is the one true God, the creator of all things, the sustainer of life. And so in chapter 4, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king writes unto all the people, nations and languages that dwell on the earth, peace multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. And he writes out this letter to anyone who will receive it and listen, saying, Look, I've been wrong. I've found a God who is way above our gods. This is the high God. This is the God to be obeyed, the God who will save out of very fire, if that be necessary. Because what uh, he had to realise was that it is this God. Um, if we go on in chapter 4, it's in verse 17. Chapter 4, verse 17. This matters by the decree of the watchers and the demand to the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and give it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. And to me that verse, Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, if you don't remember anything else, remember that because what that is telling me is that nebuchadnezzar was there because god put him there david cameron is there because god puts him there so if at the last election i had gone along and voted for someone else and then god put david cameron there how silly would i be because i had been going against god so on that account alone to me answers the question but we'll come on to consider some more detail but the important point out of that verse is the most high rules in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will Which of us would have chosen to put Hitler in power? But God did, because God saw a purpose in bringing the Jews back to the nation of Israel and having Hitler in power. There are far bigger things at play in the world, still going on, I believe, today, under which God is in control than I am able to sit back and to judge. And therefore, we allow God... uh, it's it's therefore to the intent that the living that includes us that we might know the most high this great high god that nebuchadnezzar is writing about rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will and throughout the world today in some very unlikely places and scenarios the plan and purpose of god is being carried out by his will And when we come on then into the New Testament and look at the example of Jesus, which we've been asked to do to follow the example of Jesus, we see that in his life, this same attitude that was shown by Abraham and Daniel is this attitude that prevailed. He, as we have seen, didn't complain when he was ill-treated, didn't bring out his human rights or the fact that he could do this or could do that or couldn't do this, uh, but rather Uh, he suffered those things for God's sake, for the gospel. And in Matthew chapter 20 we read, But Jesus said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. Whosoever will be the chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So although we don't have... Verses in the New Testament Go and say to you shall not vote Or you shall not be a member of your community council Or you shall not be an MP Or you shall not be a part of the government On the other side of the coin We don't have Jesus or his disciples Entering into these things They have no part to play in the leadership And the rulership of the time They're condemnatory In the most part of the Pharisees and the Sadducees Who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders But had lost the word And weren't fulfilling it and carrying it out and rather were adding burdens and their own things to it and they didn't enter into uh, the government of the time either locally the jewish government or the roman government which was over that but they accepted the lot the citizenship under which they lived and lived their lives under it following it and carrying it out as they were able jesus and his disciples never sought any part in the government of the Jews or their land, obeyed the rulers where they spoke the truth of God and didn't copy their examples. So the bad examples of the Pharisees, Sadducees, they didn't follow that, but they kept to the things of God that they were feeding upon and nurturing upon and developing within their lives. They paid their debts and the taxes, as they were commanded to do. They suffered the persecution of the establishment and the world around them. And they lived... In the main part as wanderers, as in someone else's country, as Abraham did. Wandering as a sojourner, looking for a city whose builder was the God. And in the New Testament example of the first century church, we find it is no different at all. In fact, Jesus says in John 18, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. That I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence? Therefore, say I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. So, His kingdom, the kingdom of God, wasn't of this world. This was this kingdom that Abraham was looking for. That they were sojourning towards this city whose maker is the God. If it was here and now, he said, I'd call my disciples to fight, and we'd stand up and we'd take the kingdom, we'd deliver the Jews, and but that isn't it my kingdom is not from hence we're told we won't look up but we're told in um, Philippians chapter 30 this word conversation or uh, in the Greek it's really citizenship that our citizenship is in heaven it doesn't mean that we belong in heaven or that we're going to go to heaven it means that the God of heaven the great creator and sustainer Uh, is looking for this people who will be his citizens and that is that city that kingdom that has been looked for right from abraham and through the scriptures and in first peter chapter two if we come back to that the chapter that we had read by way of introduction slightly earlier than the section that we read earlier. So First Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. <coughs> Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. But to them which be disobedient. The stone which the builders disallowed. The same is made the head of a corner. And a stone of stumbling. And a rock of offence, Even to them which stumble at the word. Being disobedient whereunto they also are appointed. But you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A peculiar or a special people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into marvellous light. In time past you were not a people, but now are the people of God. And that is this great time which throughout the scriptures people have been looking for, when this nation is being gathered which will be a people of God. Not people of Scotland or the United Kingdom or Europe or any other country, but citizens of the Commonwealth of Israel, citizens of the Kingdom of God. And if that is our allegiance, and if the Lord Jesus Christ is our King, then we're told in Ephesians that we are to be separate or apart. It's worth just briefly, if we just go back, just to look at these verses. So back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 Wherefore, remember that you, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, without God in the world, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are made near by the blood of Christ. So saying, look... You were Gentiles. You were called uncircumcision by those who were circumcision. But really their circumcision of the flesh. Of the hands. That doesn't really mean anything. He says at the end of the day. He said you were aliens. Strangers. From the commonwealth of Israel. You maybe had a citizenship in a country. You were maybe a citizen of a country. But you were a stranger from the commonwealth of Israel. From the covenants of promise. From the hope. From the kingdom of God. You were strangers from it. But Now. Now. You have a home. And it's turned the whole thing in its head that Abraham, who because of his faith wanders as a stranger and a pilgrim in the eyes of the world, being a nomad, not having a set place, the Lord Jesus Christ, who didn't have a bed, a home in which to lay his head that he could call his own, that he could go back to every night and live in for three years, that wasn't what it was like. That those who were like that, who lived that life, they now are the ones who are the citizens, who have a home, Verse 12, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, without God, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off, who were in that position, are made near by the blood of Christ. You now are the ones who are the citizens of the kingdom of God, who have that hope, who have that surety, who are members of the commonwealth of Israel, who have this wonderful belonging, this wonderful kingship in the Lord Jesus Christ. So on the bullet points there it's telling us that we are to be separate or apart from the things of the world. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers, afar off, but now are brought close by the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, um, because they're brought near by the Lord Jesus Christ, they have this new home, this new belonging and if we have this new allegiance this new kingdom this new family this new king now then that puts in our mind a different question where we're then asked to come to judgments about the land in which we live now put on there very quickly just to start your thought just for 30 seconds this is as part of an american style type system the uk is introducing a citizenship test so those who come here who want to become citizens as well as being able to speak, uh, pass an English speaking test, are going to be given a test. Now, this, this is some some of the questions I picked at random. Do we think we could all answer these? According to the 2001 census, what proportion of the British population are Christians? 20%, 70%, 50% or 90%? If you're very astute, you'll have seen the answers are at the bottom right, upside down. Um, one which is maybe slightly more difficult... Uh, how often does the cabinet normally meet? Daily? Twice a week? Weekly? Monthly? I'm quite surprised that people are expected to know that but the answer I think is weekly. Uh, Somebody tells us it's four along the bottom, C, weekly. So they're being asked questions such as that so that at a ceremony at which mass gatherings are, they can be given out a certificate to say well done, you are now a British citizen. And that is uh, an extract, one of the the certificates, I didn't want to show you the rest of it it's got the person's name on it. Uh, and collectively, again in an American style thing, they uh, have to give an oath of allegiance or an affirmation of allegiance. I, your name, do solemnly, sincerely and truly declare and affirm that on becoming a British citizen I will faithfully bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, her heirs and successors according to law. And as a separate pledge, I will give my loyalty to the United Kingdom and respect its rights and freedoms. I will uphold its democratic values. I will observe its laws faithfully and fulfil my duties and obligations as a British citizen. How do those things affect us, not only in relation to our British citizenship, but if we are claiming allegiance to the Commonwealth of Israel, to the Kingdom of God? what mantra in our mind as an affirmation of allegiance or a pledge do we have towards god and towards his kingdom if to the christian jesus christ is already king he he doesn't have a kingdom the world doesn't acknowledge him as a king because he doesn't have a kingdom but the bible tells you he's going to come back and he's going to establish the kingdom doesn't mean he isn't now a king if jesus christ is already king to him alone and we are seeking him as our king then that has to be our ultimate allegiance from there alone through the scriptures is our help in time of need therefore our citizenship as we're told in Ephesians 2 and place after place after place our citizenship is in heaven from whence Christ will bring our reward to earth when he returns and those passages if you want to note them later at the bottom back up all those statements there um, that our citizenship is in heaven from whence Christ will bring our reward when he returns. In Revelation, at the end of the Bible, we read, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, he will dwell with them, they will be his people, God himself shall be with them and be their God. He shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. I challenge you in the next months up to the election to find a party manifesto that will promise those things. No more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, No more pain for the former things are passed away. They can't promise it because they can't deliver it. They can't even deliver the things they promise most of the time. But they're all in the same boat. The kingdom of God... Something quite different. Our King, the Lord Jesus Christ who will rule, is something quite different. If as Christians we are seeking him as King, then that is where our allegiances surely must lie. Now I know that there are a lot of within Christians different view on this, there are even Christian political parties. And it maybe seems like an idealistic opportunity that you think you could set up a Christian party. And you could have a manifesto which say you're going to go into government to fulfil all the laws of God. And fantastic you think that would happen. But I think it's hugely unrealistic in any modern world society that that is going to happen. We, as I say, obey the laws of the land until they come into conflict with our greater allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ as our King. And if you're still in... Um, Hebrews, just a final few verses there from later on in Hebrews, in the section that we read regarding the faith of Abraham and others. And we read just slightly further on from that. So we read there the final where we left off was verse sixteen. They desire a better country, that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And if we go towards the end of the chapter, verse thirty-nine, and these all all these people of faith. Through the Old Testament that is looked at. Who looked for this greater time which was to come. Who were sojourners and strangers strangers in the world. Verse 39. All these having obtained a good report through faith. Received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us. That they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every way. The sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. All these didn't receive what they looked for, the city whose maker and founder was God, because God is waiting for me. He's waiting for for you he won't wait forever but for us god is waiting that they without us shouldn't receive the promise because this wonderful time is going to come god wants all who will to have a place and an opportunity within it and so the door remains open but at some time that door has to shut therefore we're called upon to look into these things and to look unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith When will that election? When will that time be? The other one might be 116 days. We don't know when this one will be. The fact that it says there. In those last verses that we've read. Um, God have provided. And God is. Shows to me that God is still. Working out his plan and purpose. In the world around us. Though we might not understand it at times. Though we might see some terrible things. In the world around us. That we can't explain. Yet. God has set appointed a day when the Lord will return to establish God's kingdom. When that day will be? We don't know and perhaps it's a good thing so we each each day need to be preparing and readying ourselves for that time. Meantime if we as Christians are seeking those things of God and following after them then that impacts upon our lives it impacts upon the easy decisions that we make day by day, without even thinking about it, that we discussed at the start, but it also has an impact. And we could spend a whole other talk now, but I won't. Don't worry, Tommy. I won't start. Looking at the more difficult day-to-day decisions. For example, um, we live in a house which has a field at the side of us, and it's a lovely outlook over the field. And a notice has come through the door saying the council are rezoning the field. And 124 houses are going to be built on it. Your immediate reaction is, I'm not building on the field beside my house. But it's not my house. It's not my field. I have nothing apart from what God has given me. It is God's. And who are we to object to that? Or the high-speed railway line down the bottom of our garden? Or, more difficult perhaps, the government of this country, which God has put in place bringing in a bill to introduce same-sex marriage or anything else that we might not think is a good idea? Is that something for us to take an opportunity to object to? Or is that something for us to think? I don't know how many days it is, but I'll tell you this, the things that are going on in the world around me makes me think those numbers are getting smaller all the time. And that is where our allegiance lies. And that is that time and that city that we should be looking for in all areas of our lives.